Welcome to the Changemakers Podcast, brought to you by City Current and powered by Lipscomb and Pitts Insurance. This show shares personal stories and insight from those who are giving back and making a difference so we can learn and do the same. We cover life lessons, business advice, passion, and purpose. Now here's our host, Jeremy Park. Welcome to the Changemakers Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Park. We're in for a treat. We have the founder of City Current. So he's our founder for our organization, but he's also the co-CEO of Lipscomb and Pitts Insurance. He's a changemaker. He's Johnny Pitts. How are you doing, Johnny? I'm doing great, Jeremy. Glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Hey, you make it easy. You're you're a few floors down in terms of our office. So we're shooting right now or we're taping this in our office. So that makes it really easy. But um, you know, most people see you, you're heavily involved in the community, but uh, they don't necessarily know your backstory, your Memphis roots. So that's going to be the fun of this show is talking about really growing up here in Memphis. And, and obviously we'll talk a little bit about City Current and uh, Lipscomb Pitts Insurance, but we're, we're going to have fun talking about your personal philanthropy. So start out, you are a Memphian. Give us a little bit of your history being raised right here in Memphis, Tennessee. I think I'm either a fourth or fifth generation Memphian. Uh, our family came from our, the original family. You know, my great great grandfather uh, was very poor, uh, and my grandfather worked in the Firestone plant. In fact, so did my two uncles, uh, which is up there right off of Millington. And uh, that's where we were destined to be as, you know, factory workers and stuff, which was great jobs back in the days. And anyway, uh, my father uh, was the first in his family to ever go to college, and he had to work his way to earn money to pay for the tuition and everything. Of course, World War II interrupted some of those things. But, you know, the fact that I've been here so long, I get a perspective that people that haven't lived in Memphis, uh, I get that perspective, you know, that's different. And I've seen where we've been. I've heard where we've been, but mostly I've lived where we've been. And I now get to see and, you know, where we are now and where we're going. And let me tell you, it is some kind of exciting. Talk about you, your father served in the military. Um, share a little of that experience, but really kind of how he brought that into the family. Well, he was, you know, everybody back then was drafted. And, in fact, it was almost an embarrassment not to be in the war. And my dad was no exception. He was 18 years old. And he was stationed in Bremerhaven, Germany, uh, right at the very end of the war. But what, an interesting story, he was an Eagle Scout, uh, I say was, he's no longer living, but he's, he is an Eagle Scout. I'm an Eagle Scout, and my son's an Eagle Scout. But a great story that he told me about leadership in World War II. They landed in the ship in Bremerhaven, and the colonel came out as the boys, you know, the men, young men, were deployed into a big open area. There were about a 1,000 of them, and the colonel was trying to decide who the leaders were going to be. And so he asked the group with a megaphone, how many of you, raise your hand, how many of you, were a Boy Scout. And my dad said half the group raised their hands. And the colonel shook his head like, well, that's too many. He goes, step forward if you were an Eagle Scout. And 20 of them stepped forward out of 1,000. And he said, you guys are going to be the leaders. So that, you know, really stuck with me. And, uh, of course, he pushed me to get into Scouts. And once I, you know, got involved in it and I was electrified and really moved. It changed me dramatically than my son as well. So, you know, having your, your father guide you and direct you from that perspective was really helpful. And kind of piggyback that a little bit because I think one of the neat things is I talk to so many parents here that say, 
um, you know, their son was involved in scouts and you really played a pivotal moment in their life of making sure that they became Eagle Scouts. And so you kept them on pace and you made sure that they got all their electives and, you know, kind of take that one more step further in the sense of, you know, scouting really has become who you are, but it's not just you and your family. It's, it's the outreach of many other families as well. Well, scouting doesn't work unless you have volunteers and parents are the volunteers. And I'll never forget back when my son was getting ready to join a Cub Scout pack. They basically got all the parents in one room and said, okay, we're walking out. Y'all need to decide who's going to be the, the Cub Master. And I was the only person with any real experience in that. I was, you know, heavily involved in scouts, of course, growing up as being an Eagle and being a senior patrol leader and so forth. So I said, all right, I'll, I'll do it under one condition, and that is that every one of you uh, be involved in helping, you know, many hands make light work. And so they, they vowed, you know, to do that. And we took it a step further, and it was interesting. There were 13 boys there, and they were seven years old. And I looked around the room, and I said, look, I'll take them all the way to Eagle. I, we can do that together, but I'm going to need your help. And you took it forward probably 10 years, 10, 11 years, 12 years, and 12 of those 13 boys made their Eagle Scout rank. Wow. And it was because it was a team effort. Give us one favorite memory, fond memory of scouting with your father. Oh, there's so many of them, but uh, I'll never forget my dad. When I was young, it was one of my first camp outs. He was assigned cook duty at Camp Courier, which is right down south in Memphis, 45 minutes from here uh, in Eudora, Mississippi. And so my father was going around asking all the boys, for they were cooking breakfast, and he said, He'd walk up to a little, you know, 12-year-old boy and say, how would you like your eggs? And he, the boy looked astonishingly and he said, oh, well, I'll take mine over easy. Then all the word got out, that I want mine scrambled. I want mine. Could you do me a boiled egg, Mr. Pitts? And so forth. You know, and, of course, at a black iron skillet, they're all burned and scrambled. <laughs> <laughs> so a hard lesson learned for those boys, but all the, all the dads had a great time with that one. <laughs> Give us one with your son. Wow, uh, lots of those. I tell you, I think one of my one of my favorites was uh, when I saw him become a real leader on a campout one time. He was one of the older boys, and I said, "Rob, I need you to teach these boys. They needed to get their uh, their what they call a wood badge, uh, and that is they had to learn how to properly use a knife and an axe." And he had set up an area, uh, kind of with black vis you know, black plastic around it, staked it off, and as a safety area, you couldn't go in without talking to him to, to properly learn how. That's where the axes were managed at the time. And just watching him, he didn't even know this story, but just watching him, watching boys respect an older boy in the in the way that they listened to him, where where they wouldn't have listened to me necessarily was one of those first proud moments of from a leadership standpoint. Give us maybe one lesson. It can come from father, mother, even a sibling, um, that when you look at your childhood, something you learn from them that you carry forward to this day. <clears throat> well, there's lots of those. I think that uh, I, it's really more than just childhood. It's just it's advice in general. But in fact, I remember, Jeremy, you and me were at dinner one time with uh, Attorney General John Ashcroft, and we asked the question to the general, um, what was the one thing you would, you know, advise us? And he goes, and, and, and I'll quote, he, it was a Mark Twain quote, and he said, uh, it's not what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know that just ain't so. And I'm telling you, uh, 
I have really used that a lot in having to rethink my position on things when I'm so certain I'll ask another person to make sure that I'm not just myopically going down some rat hole thinking that I'm correct and then boom I'll get surprised so uh, and I've told my children that thing that that same thing so I think you know as we get older it's I ask a lot of questions I ask people that have been around a long time what advice do you have and sometimes it's it's really sage advice sometimes it's something as simple as you know work hard and you, <laughs> you know I remember my father gave a speech one time at a church and uh, and when he was building a church for uh, the church that he was in, and he came uh, up with the slogan, and this and I, <laughs> I read the slogan. It was on a shovel, and it said, "We're hard at work," and you know I kind of laughed at it, and and everybody goes, "Wow, that is so philosophical." I wonder what he means by that. <laughs> you know, so sometimes you come up with simple things that people read a lot deeper into them than what you really right. intended. <laughs> Give us, you mentioned the fact that your father has passed, but what's, what's something that when, when you look at how you remember him, how, how do you remember him? Give, you know, give us a story or what puts a smile on your face when you think about your father? He was uh, dyslexic, uh, and he, he admittedly said you know, he was a C student and had to study to get C's, but he was an amazingly uh, wise man. He kept things really simple. His way of communication uh, was so simple that he could talk to, and he did, talk to the Queen of England. He talked to leads of state, uh, but yet he'll talk to a, a 12-year-old uh, Boy Scout. And, and, and the same clear communication goes through as to, as to what he wants to communicate. Uh, he, he always told me, he goes, I speak the internet. He goes, I speak any language. And I said, what do you mean you speak any language? And it's sign language. And he would make it a challenge to go to foreign countries where there was very little English spoken and just to try to get around. He always liked to go to grocery stores and churches and schools and the mayor's office and things like that just to try to manipulate, or not manipulate, but to communicate uh, via his hands and gestures and things. And you can imagine what those kind of things were looking like. Uh, but he was uh, he was really excellent at that, and I think that's the thing that's really passed down that he passed down is this ability to uh, to listen, keep things simple, and communicate. You always tell the story that Lipscomb and Pitts Insurance was basically created over a cup of coffee. Share a, a little bit of a teaser for that story, but but talk about it in the context of you now working in the insurance industry. Was that always something that you, growing up and seeing your father, you thought, hey, that's for me? I mean, but tell, tell a little of the story and then how it relates to you personally. Well, Matt Lipscomb Jr., that's his partner, uh, was uh, out of the war as well. He's a Navy, Navy uh, aviator. And after the war, he worked for Liberty Mutual Insurance Company as a salesman. In fact, he's one of the top salesmen, the top salesman in the southeast U.S., and uh, he, my dad was hired uh, by Liberty Mutual. Well, after a year or two, the two of them became the number one and two salesmen for Liberty Mutual in all the Southeast. So uh, right down here on Cooper Avenue, they stopped at a coffee store one morning, you know, for a 10 cent cup of coffee and said, you know what, we ought to do this on our own. And the brainchild of Lipscomb and Pitts Insurance Company was invented at that point in time and what was interesting it back in those days that was we opened in 54 but it, that was probably 1952 when the discussions were made uh, having 
getting an insurance company to back you was a huge deal. So having a building showing that you've got staying power and you're there was critical. So it's hard to believe, but they built a 4,000 square foot building with, with not, you know, they didn't have a lot of money. Uh, but that's what they did to build. That was their show of force and stability that they were, they were serious about what they were doing. And that was very important. So they got their first contract and then, you know, started writing personal insurance and then moved into the commercial lines business and, you know, blossomed from there. So that's the brief history of how we began. Did you always seeing your father work in the insurance industry? Did, did you want to work in the insurance industry? Well, not necessarily. Uh, it was interesting. You know, he never pushed me, which was, uh, I, I think he learned, he, he asked a lot of questions. And a lot of times when fathers or parents, you know, push a child in a particular direction, it's, it's, it's felt as pushing and they obviously don't want to do it. I think what he did is he, he was wise enough to say, you know, he kind of slowly dripped it to me over time and, and showed me the opportunities. Here's, here's, and he invited me to conventions and to different things. And I would go, well, that's, you, know, he get, you get to do that? It, you know, it's your job. Wow. That's interesting. And then, uh, the freedom that he had. And finally it clicked my sophomore year at the university of Tennessee I called him and I said, you know, I think I'm going to major in insurance, uh, and then we'll talk more. And so I changed my major from just general business to insurance. There were only four of us that there were only four insurance majors in the University of Tennessee in that time frame, and all four of us were fraternity brothers. Uh, interesting enough, and all four of us are still in the insurance business. Interesting enough as well. But <clears throat> after that, uh, I I still worked on my own. I had my own business in the summertime, and then when I graduated. By that time, we'd made an arrangement for, to work, for me to work at a, an insurance company in Nashville to get some experience, and I did that for a year then came back here. Talk about working with and for your father, but then ultimately working with Matt and, and kind of taking over the reins. Working for your father is really unique and different. Um, I felt more pressure, not from him, but from the other employees than had I worked somewhere else. I think there was some sort of, although it wasn't spoken, like I've got some advantage and they're going to do more for me or something. In fact, just the opposite was true. In fact, our dads, we were somewhat, man, I talked about, we were penalized, you know, our our income. I think my first year was $10,600. And if I didn't make it on commission with the first year, then I was going to go to a straight commission, which turned out to be a blessing for me because we sold a lot of business. But, you know, it wasn't, there was nothing given to us, I can assure you. So it was, it was difficult from that standpoint, but retrospectively, uh, it was the best thing they, they could have done. And so talk about the transition of taking um, uh, co-CEO, but, but working with Matt Lipscomb III now and being co-CEO. Well, Matt is about three years older than me, had been here, and he was an insurance major at the University of Memphis. And he worked at an insurance company just like I did. So he was three years in advance of me and already been, you know, on the ground running. And I came in and uh, and Matt and I are lifelong friends. I and mean, we've been, I, in fact, I think he is the longest uh, friend I've got. I mean, I've known him since we were, before we even knew, you know, how to talk because our mothers, you know, were friends. So, uh, but I knew how Matt was and I knew he was an honorable man, smart man. I mean, he's way smarter than me. Uh, and not as fast, but he's, he's smarter than me. He uh, is really intelligent, no kidding. He was like the three-time state of Mississippi Latin champion, uh, just a super intelligent guy, honorable, hardworking, all the traits that you look for in a partner. And 
as we progressed as producers, as sales guys, young, young, young twenties and stuff, we realized that this was we could really make a good partnership. And what's interesting, it's difficult to, to and it was truly we had a partnership, a a it was a general partnership, and it meant fifty fifty. Uh, you had to work things out. It was very much like a marriage. I mean, you, there was no alternative to an exit strategy. You had to work things out. And to this day, we have a simple rule. We have a philosophical meeting once a year to go over, do we still like it? Is this fun? Are we treating each other you know, right? Uh, all those kind of things. And, uh, you know, we have a rule that says if the other guy is really emphatic about a position, the other guy gives in. I mean, that's, we've lived by that for in more than 35 years most people don't understand that and you feel like well i could have i lost here and i won here and stuff but that's part you know it's like you have a marriage it's there's diff, you have to work at it you have to be committed to it you have to want to do it and we have wanted to do that talk about the community side because i think you know you personally and we've touched on it with scouts but you're heavily committed to giving back to philanthropy to um, to the community. So talk about the importance of community regarding the agency as Lipscomb Pitts Insurance. We've always been a firm that feels like we've been blessed in a community uh, with all the business we write. We insure well over 100 nonprofits and have felt that uh, with that blessing, we have a sense to get back. And kind of on a you were here jeremy when we did this we we started say with city current which was the lipscomb and pitts breakfast club back then uh we started really pushing the nonprofit arena in a different way i mean a very heavy way in fact it was originally a network type organization and now it's anything but that the networking occurs of course but now we get to uh give back in, in so many different ways money and time and all the efforts that we put into it and you know it we were way ahead of the curve from where businesses are now, I feel. Um, we were doing that way back then. But the original thing, here's here's the, the aha moment, but it, this was probably 20 years ago. I'll never forget it. When we interviewed people, we, I interviewed persons, uh, people, or potential employees, uh, I, I batted 100%. I mean, if I wanted, so if we wanted somebody, we got them. And I'll never forget this bright young lady uh, uh, came to me and she interviewed and, and I thought okay this is we're going to get her she's really sharp and everything call her the next day and she goes you know uh, man I really would like to come to work for you but I'm going to go to work for FedEx is who it was and I said really what why are you not coming to work for us she goes you know Johnny there really wasn't a way that I could get plugged into the community via LNP and man I mean that was a dagger to the heart and I I I said, you know, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you awakening me to that notion. And I mean, the next day, I said, that's it. We're changing. We're going to have some. We're going to have ways to be more involved in the community where our staff can get involved in it. And that has changed dramatically since that time. You uh, you alluded to it, and I kind of mentioned it, referenced it at the at the outset. But um, you know, you're, you're the founder. It was the Lucas Pitts Breakfast Club, as you mentioned, um, started back in 2005, and now obviously rebranded to City Current because, as you said, there's so much more to it. You've got you know well over 150 events for the community all free, and then you have this huge media side, including the Changemakers podcast. But go back and tell the story because I think it's it's really to me it's fascinating because 
starting as a networking organization back in 2005. You know, a lady wants to bring this to Memphis. You step up and say, hey, I'll help you get this going. But then ultimately for an insurance agency to buy out a networking organization, that's a big statement. And I, and I tell the story even further in the sense that, you know, I had just moved here from Los Angeles. So you're, you're taking over a networking organization, which once again in the context for an insurance agency to buy a networking organization and bring it in house is definitely a little odd. And then to hire somebody from LA to run a networking organization who doesn't know anybody in the city is a little mm. more odd. <laughs> that's but, right. You know, that it's a big statement because I think, one, to put that amount of dedication in, the amount of resources, even for the team around, you know, the other owners and things at the time saying, wow, this is this is a little crazy. This is a big step to take in terms of the commitment to the community to be able to make a difference. But tell that from your lens. I got the call about this time of year, 12 years ago, I guess, 13 years ago, whenever it was. And uh, it was, this guy was director of radio marketing for the NFL, and he had come up with this concept of Breakfast Club America. And what he did is he took it to cities like you know, Memphis, for example. He was already in Florida. And he heard about me through another person in Florida and said, Johnny Pitts is a guy in Memphis you need to talk to. So he called me. And as he was going through it, I'm telling you, it wasn't three minutes in the conversation. It clicked. And he wanted us to be the title sponsor for Oh, I think it was fifty or sixty thousand dollars a year, and uh, that's a lot of money for any size firm. But I, I asked him to come up here. He did, and and when we met, I said, "I'll do it under one condition: we have to do it my way or our way." And that is to it's not just about networking. I want to do some other things. And it turns out he he honored that and let us have some flexibility in some of the things that we were doing. Well, not much more than a year later, they the Breakfast Club America entity itself just dissolved. And uh, the person, it was a franchisee type operation, uh, which you alluded to, and a female uh, uh, lady, a lady in uh, Germantown owned it. And she really was over her head and sweet lady. And I said, look, we need to, let me just buy this from you. So, you know, we negotiated a price and it was fair on, for both parties. And we ended up buying it. <clears throat> and then Amy Bingham, who was with me at the time, as you know, uh, Jeremy, helped me build this. You know, we built it up from there. Then Amy wanted to start a family. So I asked her, and you had come in like the month or two before selling me radio space or, or with Amy. And I said, Amy, man, what are we going to do? You're going to be leaving. Uh, man, who could possibly replace you? And she goes, you remember Jeremy, don't you? And I said, I actually do. I remember when you. I remember the moment you sat across from me in my desk, and remember what you were wearing and the seat you were sitting in. So I called you, of course, at that time, and and uh, and we got together. We hired you, and uh, the fact that you had had all your LA experience really helped a lot. Uh, but I didn't know even until now how important that that experience was. I was hiring a young, aggressive, intelligent guy, but I didn't know your experience would would come into play like it like it has which is really the benefit but you know you know you you're the you're the kind of guys you're the you're you're a partner you're a partner here at Lipscomb and Pitts Insurance uh, but as you know we run this thing together you run it I mean make no mistake about that we get together like our little philosophy meetings that we have from time to time where we're on the same page doing the right things but it gives me the freedom to do what I need to be doing and that is running our company and uh, we get together, as you, you know, to, to review things. So it's been 
uh, we've just cracked you know it open now. I mean, just to think that at the time people asked me, did you think you would ever have you know a TV show, a radio show, the Spark Awards, write two books, you know, have podcasts that you're featured on like this? Uh, I would have said, are you kidding? You know, and now that we've done this, I'm thinking, well, what else? Right. What's next? That's the fun of this. It's it's been a journey for sure. What I mean, you kind of touched on it, but give me one thing that you're really proud of. I mean, now you, you've gone from roughly, you know, a handful of events now to last year, actually for this year, we're, we're doing the end of the year uh, presentation. So I have all the stats fresh on my mind to be 183 events in 2016. Um, so that's 183 events that we're hosting and, and coordinating and underwriting and everything else. And then you have all this media, which is you alluded to, you have TV shows, radio shows, podcasts, books, freelance journalists, columns, in the commercial appeal, even Forbes magazine now. Um, so crazy, crazy focus on all the good things going on and how people can leverage that to, to help themselves to be more of a spark and a catalyst in their own community. What, what makes you the most proud out of that almost 11 years of evolution and growth and development? What, what puts a smile on your face? I would again? say uh, it always comes down to, to individuals and people. If you're helping those that are maybe less fortunate than you, uh, that can uh, that can mean nonprofit organizations. But it's also being a, a positive change, an element of change where and where you're you're having a, a real positive difference in your community. You know, I don't know if it's not us that did this, but I remember just just a handful of years ago when I when you and me would have to defend our city. I mean, even against it, our own citizens, saying you know this is an awful place, and we we made you remember Forbes, most miserable city list. I'll never forget that one. Uh, and you know the story with that. Just briefly, they we they printed uh, Forrest Magazine, Memphis's most miserable city. Jeremy and I got so upset about it, uh, we called uh, the Forbes editor, uh, Rich Carlgard, found out who he was, and said, "We're going to invite you to Memphis." And it took us two years, but we got him. And he came in, and we gave him the grand tour and everything. And he left, and we've made about ten best something list well but that was we made no bones about it we said we want you to come here and speak to our group but we want to show you our city we want to show you really what's going on he had never been to memphis before we rolled out the red carpet i mean you even offered to take him biking on the green line and everything so and unfortunately the weather didn't hold up for that but he had a private dinner with people like fred smith and pitt hyde and everybody went around talking about all the great things going on in our city and so he got to hear and see firsthand what the city really was like you know i think that one other thing we've done uh, consistently. I've never had a speaker come in here and that hasn't been wowed by number one, our southern hospitality, and number two, walking away with going, man, what is it with your city? It is so cool. I mean, you've got such a culture. It's so soulful and everything. So to me, one of the other things that we've done, I think, is we created ambassadors throughout the country and throughout the world. I mean, people leave here and they go, man, Memphis is hip, man. It's it's unlike any other city, and it is. It is really different. It's not, you know, so many other cities have the six degrees or five or four degrees of separation before you can connect with someone. Memphis, it's one. I mean, you can make one call, and boom, you can get connected with the most important person you need to meet in the city of Memphis. And I think that's what the, the, the soul and culture of our city is. We're such, you know, a giving city. You know, we're ranked, of course, in the tops in the country, but uh, giving and philanthropy. That shows in the personality of every citizen that we have here, and I think people are like that. So, to me, there's, there's, you know, those, those are the types of things that I guess I'm more proud of. It's hard to put your finger on one of them. 
Going back to the personal side for you, you're heavily involved with Youth Villages, uh, so many nonprofits here. Give us maybe one or two other ones that you, besides the Boy Scouts, um, are, are really excited and proud to work with. Well, of course, I go way back with uh, Youth Villages and the Boy Scouts, also uh, Carnival Memphis, which is a, a great organization. We've given away almost $2 million to charitable organizations over the last uh, probably 10 or 15 years. One of the most unique one uh, boards that I'm on, that I'm actually chairing as, is an organization called Innovate Memphis. And in effect, what we do, we are an idea uh, incubator and creator and, and, and solutions-based company. Very few people, but they're all young, smart millennials. And let me give you an example of what we're, uh, what we're tackling. We, we go to the city, and we, we go to the city of Memphis, we go to the mayor, we go to the you know, various leaders in the city of Memphis and say, give us give us a problem that you just don't have time to fix or tackle or you don't have the, you know, the funds to do so. And they said, man, we got to tackle blight. We just don't know what we're going to do with it. So our team, literally, there's 244,000 parcels of land in the city of Memphis. So we uh, actually inventoried all of that land because you can't go in and fix on a broader scale, unless you, a problem, unless you know how to, you know what is it, what, how you measure all the metrics of it. So what we did is we got our team to go by, and they literally over a several month period inventoried all the property, what was blighted, what you know, all the definitions and the conventions, uh, definitions that we would uh, place on them, and then we came up with a plan, you know, one of which was called mow to own, where you can go in and a neighborhood has a dilapidated area. If you mow it long enough, and there's certain rules, I don't understand what they are, but you can actually own that land over time. Uh, you make a, a you could uh, after a, say a drug house in a neighborhood is it can be torn down because we can get an environmental uh, issue uh, released on it. Uh, we can tear it down and make it into a neighborhood park. We give it to that neighborhood. They put up swing sets. They grow flowers. They do, you know, uh, food plots and whatever else that they want to do. And it and it drives away the bad stuff so those are the kind of things that we do at innovate memphis and i'm really proud to be in that you know involved in that organization talk about getting i mean you kind of referenced it earlier too is uh, you know with the interview the one that got away we'll say um but engagement is so important with employees and especially with millennials i mean you hear it all the time that's one of the first things is they're looking for companies to get them plugged in they're looking for opportunities during the workday to go out and volunteer Share with us your philosophy on why it's so important for businesses to open up those opportunities to get employees involved. Talk about why it's so important. Your millennials in particular, if you look at that group as a whole, they are all about getting plugged in the community, giving back. And as, as employers, it's you can't miss that. I mean, if you take a look at all the studies, within the next 10 to 15 years, your baby boomers are going to be gone and retired. So selfishly, you, we ought to be looking at what do we do to get these to, to really get the millennials involved in our company, you know, some, I mean, in our community th via our company. So, uh, you know, it's a good business move, but it's also the right move. I mean, you ought to feel good about it. I'll be part of your culture and your mission. Believe me, when people are interviewing in your company, they're going to be asking you questions. I mean, nowadays it's funny. As I interview people, I'm kind of getting interviewed myself. They're asking me, "What about your company? What are you guys doing? How are you doing it? Uh, do you, you know, do you give time off to, to get plugged in? Do you do this? Do that?" So, uh, it's important uh, 
to be a real company from a culture standpoint to have that give back component. We talk about a lot in the giving back column and the books and things that, you know, things like a modified work schedule where they can leave a little early or come in a little late, but go and volunteer during a work day. And the company is able to, to track that and, and to be able to use that as a part of their giving back efforts. Things like casual Fridays, which we do a lot here where you can dress casually, t-shirt, jeans, and then donate $5, $10, and all that money goes to a nonprofit. And you'd be surprised how much money you can raise. But you can do a lot of things with your employees during a work day to be able to give back. What's something that you would offer as advice to other business leaders, others you know, that work in communications, but just something that you think this is something that has worked well for us that I would say companies definitely need to explore? You know, there's a lot of different ways to go with that, but you know, some of the, the things are to ask those, you got some employees that a lot of your employees perhaps sit, sit on a board or they're involved in some organization somehow, and uh, offering a specific thing that we do is that we actually built our uh, conference center on our first floor uh, to have the ability to be a multi-purpose uh, venue so that if a nonprofit wanted to come in and which many do we have it booked quite often either you know during work days or uh, during the work day or after hours where they've got a, a kitchen facility there that can eat lunch they've got bathroom facilities they've got AV equipment and all that kind of thing. So to me, uh, you'd be surprised how many nonprofits don't have or have the capacity for physical space for meetings for more than, say, 10 people. And by offering that up, uh, that's a really good thing, you know, for, from that perspective. And then, you know, other things, too, that we've, we've actually done is uh, we have, uh, you know, golly, we've had so many different wellness things here that is that our employees like. And we we have one young lady that teaches a Zumba class. Uh, we, you know we have uh, Matt and I on time, from time to time. You know we've served you know breakfast and stuff like that, wearing aprons and all that kind of goofy stuff. But it's fun. They want to see that you know your employees want to see you're a real person and that you're giving back from that standpoint as well. And you also do a very good job of letting your team lead. So in other words, I'm thinking um, there's a. a, a guy right next to me that um, you know you basically let them organize and kind of run with the YMCA corporate games and so in other words it didn't come necessarily from top to bottom it came from everyone at all levels working together and taking a leadership role and organizing the employees and you know structuring the games and making sure that we had a team out representing every sort of uh, game that was being held from basketball to soccer I mean you name it but you know, really the, the level of letting your team run and lead, I think, is important as well. Yeah, I mean, when Tad did that, he, he came to me. And, you know, obviously you've got to have a culture where the people are feeling comfortable enough to even come up and ask you. And so Tad came to me a couple, whenever it was, two or three years ago and said, is it okay if I do this? I said, oh, not only is it okay, I encourage you to do it, but you need to do it. You need to be the leadership guy on this thing and, and run it. And if it's, if it's me, it, it won't be the same. And so, and I was even involved in some of those games. So he, you know, we've had a, a great turnout. That's been a lot of fun. And so that's what it's about. I mean, everybody comes in and, and works hard every day. And, you know, we ought to have some fun, too. I mean, as you know, we have the food truck that comes around once or twice a year. We have, you know, music that we play to kind of relax everybody. Um, you know, and another thing that I've done that not is not necessarily a giving back component, but I found it's really been something special to me is about a year and a half I started taking three employees to, to lunch just me and the three employees 
And I get three that typically don't, they're not on the same floor, don't work in the same department. And <clears throat> I take them, you know, to Outback. I always take them to the same place. Everybody knows that's one of my favorite places to eat. But anyway, we, we talk about vacation, pets, you know, what are you doing? And how's your grandchild? Or what are your kids doing? And I try not to talk about, if they want to bring up business, that's fine. But I'm, I want to know about them. And it's really interesting. It's been very good for me to get to know, because I don't always, as the co-CEO, get to meet everybody and talk to them on a personal level. This gives me, although it's maybe once a year, I get to do that. And that, to me, has been a really special thing. And I've, I've heard feedback that they've really enjoyed it as well. So one last question, then we'll switch over into kind of a lightning round with, with quick ones, which is always one of my favorite parts. But last one is you, you become pretty famous for the Pitts 3 P, And the idea is that you share three positive things, three great things here in the Mid-South. And the idea is that um, you share those three things in three minutes, and then you encourage those three people to share it with three more and three more and three more. And before you know it, you've impacted tens of thousands of people by simply sharing three positive things. And so it's something that everyone can do. And you're already seeing, I thought it was really neat, Todd Lochner with Principal Toyota has come out with a whole new set of commercials that he's like, you know what? I was inspired by what you're doing with the Pitts 3 Pete. I was inspired by City Kern and what's going on there. But you're seeing this kind of new adoption, if you will, of this idea of the Pitts 3 Pete. So talk about the importance of that, but just how everyone can play a role in being an ambassador for our city. You know, when you positive news takes a little bit of effort, uh, it's disturbing to me, and all the media do it, and particularly TV stations. But I get people uh, tell me all the time, oh, my gosh, look at all the murders. Look at all the problems we got in our city. And I'll, and I'll say, okay, what I want you to do is on your next trip to Atlanta or Birmingham or Nashville or Dallas or Denver, L.A. or Chicago, wherever you're going, I want you to turn on the 10 o'clock news and tell me what you see. It's always the same. It's fire, rape, murder, and problems. That's the stories that lead. And uh, that's probably not going to change. So it's up, and it's easy reporting that stuff. They turn on the police band, they go follow up, and find where's the fire, and they turn on their cameras, and everybody watches. It's a little bit more difficult to seek out positive news. And believe me, I've met with so many of the, the TV stations and the media saying we can give you a uh, an, an eternal trunk show of positive news if you would just air it. And you know they're just not that motivated by that. So therefore, uh, it's up to us. It's up to the citizens, it's up to business owners to, to search out the positive news and to, and to defend our city. I mean, when I hear somebody bashing our city, I'm going to tell you, I, I get ticked. You know, and I, uh, I'll tell them, I'll, I'll say, where'd you get that information? First of all, I'll ask them to, you know, clarify where they got it to make sure it's just not hearsay or gossip. Most of the time it is. But then also it's doing something like we've done, and that is to, you know, when, the, when Forbes writes an article about our city, and usually it's one or two persons' opinions, it's not like it's some big Gallup poll that they're, you know, that they've done. It's, you know, it's, it's that. So you can go in there and you can do something about it. And then all of a sudden, look what happens. So to me, I think it's taking leadership and don't take it. When somebody's bashing your city, just like if they're bashing your family, you're not going to sit there and take that. You're going to defend it, right? So you know, to me, it's, it's about being proud and passing along the positives, you know, from our city. Well, there you go. Let's switch over to one of my favorite parts. This is the uh, lightning round. So these are basically just quick answers. I just throw out, there's no script for any of this. So I just throw out random questions and you just have fun with it. So it gives us a little bit more of an inside scoop into your world. So what's a recent trip you've taken? 
man, I had a lot, had a lot of those. But my most recent trip was uh, I took, I went down to the Bahamas to go bone fishing with my son down in Flamingo Key, and uh, that was truly an epic uh, trip. Yeah, we had a lot of fun and you know a lot of bonding time in him and. We fished together for three days, caught a lot of fish. Bone fishing is like hunting and fishing at the same time. It's hard. you got to be a really good fly caster, spot the fish, and then reel them in, and it's just a, it's a really fun trip. All right, so I'll, I'll tie some of these in so that way people can get a chance to know a little bit more about your family. So we'll say a favorite um, track meter. So your, your youngest is a pole vaulter, so give me one favorite memory on, on watching your daughter pole vault. Well, my... I'd say my overall favorite probably went back into high school when she uh, actually broke the state record her senior year, and that was at a, at a Houston high meet. I'll never forget it was the spring of her senior year, and uh, I knew exactly what the height was, and I, I told my, in fact, I felt it. I called some friends of mine. I said, I think Mary Carson's going to break the state record. This is the all-time state record, by the way. This isn't just some district or something. This is the all-time uh, historical uh, Tennessee state record and I had a lot of my friends show up and sure enough not only did she uh, qualify for the region in the high jump but she broke the state record four times wow. I mean she kept going it was 12-2 she jumped 12-3 12-4 12-5 I think 12-6 and then then 12-7 in a state meet later so she I mean it was unbelievable that she's had a lot of collegiate success too she's a she's a centimeter off the two-lane uh, outdoor record which she'll break, I'm sure, this uh, this spring sometime. But that was probably my all-time proudest moment. Give me one. You're about to have a new addition to the family, but with Jennings, your oldest, give me one favorite moment, moment there. So, uh, you know, Jennings being my oldest, a, a, a pretty good favorite moment, of course, is when she told me she was getting ready to have a grandchild and a son. Uh, that's That's kind of hard to beat there. But we've done so many little things together over the years. I've taken all of my children individually on trips, uh, just me and that child over the course of their lifetime. And I think with her, one of my favorite times was when she was in high school. Uh, I took her to a, a, a Christian camp called JH Ranch, and we spent the week together and you know did a lot of different th- activities, and, but spent a lot of time together. And that was, that was a really special time. Where's your favorite place to go as a family? Without question, that's an easy one, Jackson Hole, Wyoming. We, my son Rob lives there. He's been there for four years, and uh, it's arguably the most beautiful place in the country. It's got everything we love to be. We're all active outdoors people, and you can fish and bike and climb and hike and swim and raft and, you know, kayak. Uh, you, everything uh, that you want to do, if it's outside activity, is there all within a five to ten minute drive literally in fact i bike to most of the places out there you got two national parks within an hour of each other in yellowstone and teton uh, national parks <clears throat> and then you've got beautiful fabulous restaurants downtown so you can be muddy and dirty and worn out and all that kind of stuff and then get you know cleaned up and go in and eat a nice meal in town and all right within a you know 15 minute drive what's your favorite city to visit internationally uh, internationally would probably be I'm trying to narrow this down uh, I would say probably uh, Paris maybe London I hate to uh, although I've been to some other uh, Eastern European cities which I've loved too it's kind of it's kind of like saying which kids your favorite you know it's I'd say Europe maybe is my favorite my favorite you know 
uh, area, area uh, continent. Um, and although I haven't been to Australia, I'm going to be doing that in October. So I, I'm going to have to uh, just tell you that's my favorite continent. <laughs> well, but, but besides the good old U.S., of course. So what's your favorite restaurant to eat at? We'll say outside of Memphis first. Well, it used to be this restaurant in um, uh, uh, in, in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And I, I've forgotten the name of it. It's been a while since I've been there. But it's I'll describe it to you. It's really a beautiful place. It's It was it was Arizona's oh, T. Cooks. That's the name of it, T. Cooks. T. Cooks is... Uh, located in the Royal Palms Hotel. And what I like about it is it's a really unique venue. You, you go in and they've got this like outdoor patio with, with plants everywhere and water fountains. And the backdrop to the whole thing is, uh, is Camelback Mountain. And you walk into it, they you know, call your name, you'll have a drink out there or something before dinner. And it's, you go through this kind of like small library slash bar and it's got nooks and crannies and nothing nothing is you know cohesive it just kind of breaks up which kind of make it gives it the attractiveness and then the restaurant itself is uh, is just over the top and they've got this giant oak tree drill literally growing right through the middle of the uh, of the restaurant and the food is off the charts so that's probably my, my all-time favorite restaurant what's your favorite thing to do with guests coming to memphis where do you like to take them you know, I think I'm getting ready to change that a little bit. Uh, so I had some a bunch of I had an interesting. My my brother-in-law is a choir director for a Baptist church, and he brings his seniors in every year. In fact, I'm kind of the the tour director. So he says, "Where do we need to go?" So of course we go to Graceland. We went to the zoo, uh, and then all the the classic places. We went to the National Civil Rights Museum, um, and you know all the other types of museums that we went to, and then we added Bass Pro Shops this past year and man they 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 spent we couldn't get them out of there to the buses it was the craziest thing so bass pro shop is definitely a destination that people need to go to and of course beale street and you know some of the other places like that favorite tv show or favorite thing to watch in general so we can leave it open for sports yeah you know sports of course i love to watch uh, sports particularly uh, i love to watch track meets it's not the greatest spectator sport unless you've done it you know like our family has so we i like to watch track meets um and then some of my favorite shows like if i'm on my bike upstairs training in my playroom and i'm sitting on it for two hours and you you get kind of bored i love watching andy griffith the old original all those black and whites you know and stuff they're so classic and they they're so timeless and even though I've seen him 20 times, I know what Otis is going to do. He's going to come back in his jail cell, you know, but it's just fun to see that. <laughs> what What do you like to do to relax? Well, that's not part of my vocabulary, and I think anybody that knows me knows that. But ironically, my, what, my, method, I, my method of relaxation is actually intense workouts. Uh, and that's why I work out in the afternoon after, after work. I'll get on my bike and ride or I'll run or swim. I'm a you know triathlete it's one of my hobbies and so I'll either like tonight I'll ride for a couple hours uh, or and tomorrow night last night I ran for an hour so it's it's that really believe it or not physical exhaustion really relaxes me so what's a personal record what's a PR for Johnny Pitts um a PR for well let's take the short this is really getting specific but uh, the uh, it's called a sprint triathlon which is 
750 meter swim in a, in a lake, a uh, 20k bike, which is 12.6 miles, and then a 5k run, which is 3.1 miles. Uh, my PR, which I did in the, I think it was the nationals lat t- uh, three years ago, was an hour and eight minutes. That that won't mean much to anybody, but <laughs> it was pretty fast for an old guy like me. <laughs> well, I think it's funny. You, you you'll you know you'll challenge the other, uh, especially the younger producers here, and say, "Come on, you guys can each take a leg, and I'll take you all on myself." So, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm afraid that I'm as they get younger and I get older, one of these days they're going to catch me. <laughs> Not yet, though. <laughs> so, last question is, you know, obviously we've covered a lot of ground, but but what do you hope that your legacy, both with Lipscomb Pitts Insurance and with City Current, most importantly, though, with just you as Johnny Pitts as the person, what do you hope that your legacy really is? You know, when you when you hit my age, I'm 58 years old and I'm in good health. I've been blessed with the you know the same wife Kim for almost 35 years, three healthy children, and hopefully a grandson and a business and everything. And I've worked hard for it, but I've been blessed along the way. There's no doubt about that. You look at other things that what you know you. You know, spiritual things, for example, with me, and I'm working on something with some uh, minister friends of mine now that uh, will have more of a eternal, uh, you know, return. I mean, you can do a lot of things. You can give money to organizations, and you can uh, be involved in things. You know, but let's face it: 50 years from now, nobody know who in the heck I, I am, or you were, or anyone else for that matter, unless you're someone that's really famous. So you you look at it I look at it and go okay I need to have more than just that kind of name on the board deal uh, I need to affect humans you know in an eternal perspective so it's not out yet but we're working on something uh, that will be somewhat like a you know we'll be working with young uh, men in the city of Memphis and and helping those young men uh, become better that's exactly why you are a changemaker. So, Johnny Pitts, thank you for all you do for coming on the Changemakers podcast and sharing your story. We really appreciate it. Great. Right. Thank you, Jeremy. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Changemakers podcast, produced by City Current and powered by Lipscomb and Pitts Insurance. To learn more about our guests and to share your stories of others leading by example, visit us online at citycurrent.com. Connect with us online using at City Current or follow the conversation using the hashtag Changemakers. Now, think big, start small, and act now. Be a changemaker. 